Understood. All right, well, let's open with a word of prayer, and we're going to dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. And Lord, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And Lord, we so often focus on the love and grace and mercy of who you are, and we're thankful that you are a loving God, a gracious God, and a merciful God. But as we will see today, you're all also a holy and a righteous God. And Lord, as we look at the wrath of God being poured out on a world that continues to shake their fist at you, that refuses to repent, Lord, I pray if anybody here doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. So Lord, be glorified. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. quickly review as we do every week. The book of Revelation, the book means it's Apocalypsis, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It has its own outline. It's in chapter one, the things which were, the things which are, and the things which shall take place after this. So chapter one, where the thing, we see Jesus in heaven. Jesus is no longer. We see him, you know, a crown, and we see him with his, you know, the strength and the might and the power. And he's no longer a baby in a manger or a savior on a cross. He has seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, and he's coming back soon, amen? amen. Chapter two and three is the church age. And we see the church mentioned 19 times in chapter two and chapter three. And then at the end of the church age, which we're living in right now, at the beginning of chapter four, John is called up. He's the one on island of Patmos whose God is using to write this letter written by the Holy Spirit, penned by John. And the word there, when he is called up, it's harpazo and it's rapturo in Latin, which is where we get the term rapture. And when he goes up to, ch in chapter four, verse one, we never see the church mentioned again until the very end of the book when we come back with the Lord. And so I believe it's our position. We're pre-trib, pre-millennial. If that gives you a headache, don't worry about it. But the point is that the church is snatched away and then we see what takes place on the earth over the next seven years, a time which is called the Great Tribulation. If you were not here for the earlier chapters, you can go to our website, you can listen, you can watch, and we see the heavenly perspective, we see the righteous judgment of God. And if you were here last week, I tell the message, redemption or the wrath of God. We really, have, we really only have one choice, two choices. We can either follow the Lord or we can be an enemy of God. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, it means that right now you have no relationship with him. You are an enemy of God. I'm glad that you're here and I pray that the Lord would minister to your heart and I pray before you walk out of this tent this morning that you would surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, last week, three quick points. We must not water down the truth about hell. If you're new here today, you're like, really? I came for hell. Really? Yeah, the Bible, Jesus talks more about hell than he does heaven. And we're gonna, we teach what's in the text and we should never water down the truth about hell. Hell is a real place. Hell is a place of torment. Hell is a place without rest. There is no break in hell. Hell is forever. And many struggle with the thought of eternal torment. But see, the point is that all sin must be paid for. And if you don't allow Jesus to pay for it for you on the cross of Calvary, then you will be indebted to pay for your sin. And because we're all sinners, we cannot ever pay off the debt of our sin. And that's why hell is eternal. Then we talked about this world will not escape the righteous judgment of God. And we saw the two harvests, if we remember that. The first one pointing to the seven bold judgments that we will see uh, in great detail next week in chapter 16. And then we saw the grapes of wrath. That wasn't just a movie, right? The grapes of wrath. And we see the, that that points to Armageddon, Harmageddo, that final battle that will take place when we come back with the Lord at the end of the time here on earth. So before we get to the outline, real quickly, I want to just talk about something. Because when people think about the future, they worry about a lot of stuff. And when I talk to people in counseling, a lot of times fear and worry are things that we are concerned with. But what are the things that the world is worried about? Uh, they're worried about the destruction of the environment, global warming or climate change, political unrest, terrorism, crime, economic and financial collapse, continual decline of moral values that destroy all relationships. A further cause for anxiety and worry is the sense of emptiness that is the result of the philosophy of humanism. Humanism says that man is inherently good, but the reality is we all know that we are all sinners in desperate need of a savior. 
If you've been born again, your sin's been washed away, but none of us is saved by our good works, only by the grace of God. And so we live in a world today that is panicking and fearful because they don't have any hope and they're just looking at the world around them, recognizing that it's falling apart to a certain degree. And we know that that's true. And so, but we as believers, we have a different perspective on this planet. We don't fear global warming or climate change. We're not worried about the environment. Again, we should be good stewards of the planet, amen? But that being said, we don't fear those things that the world fears because we know that Almighty God is in control, amen? The world has nowhere to turn for answers. And may we be salt and light wherever we go. Wherever God has you at work, you're called to be salt and light there. Your neighborhood, you're called to be salt and light. When you're in the grocery store, you're called to be salt and light. The world is without hope. There's no real meaning to life. There remains a God-shaped vacuum that only the Lord can fill. But what is really frightening about the future is not any of these things a lost world worries about. What they should be afraid of is not what's going to happen to the world, but what Almighty God is going to do. See, that's what the book of Revelation is about. This is why we study it. We need to know that our God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And he's a loving God, a gracious God, and a merciful God. But because he is a just God, he must, he must judge sin. And so as we're going through Revelation, we need to recognize that the things that the world fears are the wrong things. We should not fear man or the environment or the world. We need to fear God. Amen? Matthew 10, 28, Jesus exalted the people and said, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It says in Psalm 7, 11, God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. You know that our God is a God of love and grace and mercy, but do you know that our God is angry towards sin? He's angered by it. Why? Because what did sin do? It separated those that, the, that he created from him. So his heart breaks over sin. At the same time, he is angry with wickedness every day. It says in Hebrews 10, 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Guys, if you know the Lord, he will embrace you. If you do not know the Lord, he will bring righteous judgment against you. Now, throughout human history, I know I don't usually do a long intro like this, but I'm going to. I want to talk quickly about the wrath of God throughout the Bible, and then we'll get into the text. So the wrath of God has been throughout Scripture. It began with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the garden, the garden was perfect. They walked in the cool of the day. They had intimate fellowship with God. They were told one thing, don't touch that tree. Amen? They listened to Satan. How did Satan tempt them? He got them to question or doubt the word of God. Did God really say? And that's the thing. That's why we need to read the Bible. Why? Because when we read the Bible, we we know what God says. And we don't get fooled by the world when they doubt it. So when Adam and Eve had brought the entire human race under judgment because of the sin in the garden. In Noah's day, people had become so wicked that God sent the judgment of the flood to destroy the world. Only Noah and those in the ark, a picture of, you could say that's a picture of the rapture or the end times when we're snatched away into heaven. God delivered them through the trial. You could say those are the tribulation saints, but God brought The wrath of God upon a wicked and perverse world gave them 120 years to repent as Noah warned them over and over that a flood was coming. And keep in mind, it had never rained before. And a guy's building a boat for 120 years. Praise God for the faith of Noah. Amen? There's also been centuries of disobedience by the Jewish people. If you're here in the Old Testament with us, we see that, the, that, the, that Judah was taken captive, that Israel was taken captive, because for about 200 years, Israel did not have one godly king. They turned from the true and living God and started worshiping false idols. So the world, they were supposed to be God's chosen people, but if you watch their life, they had nothing to do with God for the most part. Judah had some good and godly kings, but they also had flawed kings. In the end, they too were taken captive. That was the wrath of God upon them. Sodom and Gomorrah, perversion and debauchery got, brought fire down on the city and all its inhabitants, save for Lot and his daughters, his wife turned back and turned into a pillar of salt. God is a righteous, loving, and gracious God. He would have saved all of Sodom and Gomorrah for 10 believers. They couldn't find 10. You know what? The people in this world that want all the Christians gone. By the way, this is the least popular time in my life to be a Christian. How about you? And Christians are mocked and the whole thing. And I told you a lady ran for office near my house and literally 
One of, the th- one of her points was we need to get all the Christians out of office so we can have truly secular, you know, truly secular uh, schools. And here's the reality. When the Christians are gone, they're going to be praying that we come back. Can I get an amen to that? When the church is raptured, they're going to see the wrath of God like no other. God's wrath and judgment were constant themes of the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 13, Wail for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay desolate and he will destroy its sinners from it. Ezekiel described the day of the Lord as a time of doom of the nations. Joel said, alas, the day for the day of the Lord is near and it will come as as destruction from the almighty. Amos said, cry out to sinners. He cried this out to the sinners in Israel. Prepare to meet your God. How many of you are prepared to meet almighty God? If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Christianity's not a hope so, it's a no so. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. We know that by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, the fact that he's risen from the dead, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be, saved. and we've been saved. And praise God for that. And my prayer is, if there's, I, I was in te- I just mean transparent, I was in tears last night thinking about anybody that might be here that doesn't know the Lord. My prayer is nobody leaves here without him, Amen. Zephaniah, following a frightened, gives a frightening description of the day of the Lord. He said, the great day of the Lord is near. It's near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. Their mighty men shall cry out. The day, of the, the day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against all the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold will able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of of jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of those that dwell in the land. God's wrath is true. Job warned, the wicked are preserved for the day of calamity. They will be led forth in the day of fury. Now, there are four different types that I found, Pastor Dave's opinion, okay? of wrath that we see in scripture. And then we'll get to the text. First of all, is sowing and reaping wrath. And that's where people, the Bible says, if then, you see it in the scripture, if you do this, this is gonna be the consequence. Or if you do this, this will be the blessing or the fruit that will come from it. So partial, one wrath of God is when we choose to walk in open disobedience to the Lord, and then the wrath of God comes through the consequences that follow. Secondly, cataclysmic wrath. And this is when God sends massive destructive judgment. Again, the entire world during the flood, a smaller region during Sodom and Gomorrah. I've had people ask me like when there was a great flood down in New Orleans and it happened to be the largest uh, you know, pride parade that had ever happened and it literally hit that day. Could God be bringing righteous judgment? Absolutely. Now only God knows, but again, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and you know what? Cataclysmic wrath. Then we saw God's wrath of abandonment. I think this is one of the scariest ones. In Romans 1, it says God gave them over to a reprobate mind. He abandons them. It's people that shake their fists at God so long that he just lets them have what they want. Go do what you want. The consequences are coming. They've been abandoned by God. That's the wrath of God as well. Hosea says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Like I said, look, he's, he's made his decision to follow the idols. Let him be. Guys, I pray. I'm so thankful for conviction. How about you? Amen. Conviction is a sign of conversion. When you know the Lord and you go outside of his will, you will feel convicted. And you know what? People will say to me sometimes when they're new in their faith and they're struggling, I'll ask them, well, how did you feel about your sin before you got saved? I loved it. How do you feel about it now? I hate it. And that's the mark of a believer. Amen? And then finally, God's eternal wrath, sentencing all unrepentant sinners to hell for eternity forever and ever. Now, the incredible paradox of God's wrath 
Here's what it is. Two things happening at the same time that seem to contradict each other. That's paradox. He brings the wrath of God, and all the while, he wants everyone to be saved from it. Amen? His desire is that none should perish, no, not one. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. During the Great Tribulation, as we've seen so far, we're, we're you know, more than halfway through it. During the Great Tribulation, while he's bringing righteous judgment, he's all, we're also going, I believe, we will see more people saved during the seven-year Great Tribulation than any other seven-year period in the history of mankind. Again, Pastor Dave's opinion. But so in the middle of bringing righteous judgment, he's also seeing people saved. The whole reason that there is a great tribulation is so more people can get saved because he could just come back and be done with it. But he doesn't do that because he desires that none should perish, no, not one. God will call sinners to salvation. He also, what has he done so far to save people in the tribulation? This is catching us up. 144,000 what? Virgin Virgin Jewish men. I call them Jewish Billy Grahams, right? 144,000 of them, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel out witnessing the people, people are going to get saved. The two witnesses, whether it's Elijah and Moses or somebody else, but the two witnesses that speak boldly, they're struck down dead in the street. They rise from the dead. Again, God's going to use them. The host of redeemed Jews and Gentiles, and even an angel in the sky speaking and telling people to be saved. As the outpouring of God's divine wrath escalates, his evangelistic efforts will escalate as well. And now we get to chapter 15 and 16. We're going to look at chapter 15 today, chapter 16 next week, Lord willing, and we're going to see that final judgment coming. The bold judgments are about to be poured out. Remember, in heaven, there was a seal, and it was sealing what? What was it sealing? The deed to earth, ownership papers of earth, and nobody could open it, but the lamb opens it. Who's the lamb? Okay, so he opens it, and we saw the trumpet judgments and the bold judgments. Now the final ones are going to be the bold judgments, okay? They're going to take place in the next two chapters. I know that was a long introduction, but here's the point. I want us all to understand the wrath of God, but understanding that he desires that none should perish, no, not one. When we get to the end of the bold judgment, it's going to be too late for people to get saved. There's going to come a point where the judgment comes God's going to be in the throne room. We're going to see that in this morning's text, and it's too late. But here's the good news. It's not too late right now. It's not too late to be saved right now. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Grab your outline. We'll go through this fairly quickly. I tell the message, the wrath of God, the righteous judgment of those who reject God's grace. Those who refuse God's love, reject his grace, and scorn his mercy will inevitably face his wrath. So the grace of God or the wrath of God, choose one, because you're only going to get one, right? It's, it's walking in obedience to the Lord or walking in rebellion against God, either in fellowship with him or rebellion toward him. The th- four points, first, we're going to see the pouring out of righteous anger of God upon a wicked and unrepentant world. There's two words for uh, wrath in the Bible, in the New Testament, in Greek, and the one that's used most of the time is is orge, and it's an anger of a settled disposition. It's, it's something that that's wrong, we know it's wrong, and here's the judgment. The one that's used 11 times in the Bible, 10 times in Revelation, including this morning, is the word thymos, and it is a passionate anger. So literally, as God is pouring out his wrath in Revelation, it is a passionate anger. You don't want God to be mad at you. Amen? And we're going to see that being poured out. Used here reveals the greater intensity of God's righteous anger toward unrepentant and unforgiven sin. And it's going to bring completion to his judgment. Then we're going to see the vengeance of God. We'll see the sea of glass mingled with fire, divine judgment proceeding from God's glory, bringing righteous vengeance for those that are martyred for their refusal to take the mark of the beast. We saw earlier that they were crying out to the Lord, Lord, when are you going to bring judgment? When are you going to? Well, the answer is when the bold judgments come. Then we're going to see the character of the God that we serve, his works, he's great and marvelous, his power, he's Lord God Almighty, his ways, he's just and true, his worthiness, he alone is worthy to be worshiped, to be praised, and to be honored. Amen? We worship no one else. We revere no one else. We really shouldn't honor to this degree anyone else. 
We should be respectful, kind, and gracious, but we worship one and one alone, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to see his worship, that every tongue, tribe, and nation will worship our Lord. And then finally, in the last four verses, we're going to see the plan of God as his righteous judgment is poured out from his throne upon an unrepentant world. And if you're new here this week, welcome to Calvary Chapel. (laughs) We don't skip stuff. Can I get an amen to that? Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. All right, Revelation chapter 15, beginning there in verse 1, looking at the pouring out of righteous anger of God upon a wicked and unrepentant world. It says there, then I saw another sign in heaven. Who's talking? John is talking. So John, as we know, was boiled in oil, didn't die. They put him on the, out on the island of Patmos. It's there that he is writing this. So God is giving him visions from a heavenly perspective for the most part. And he's getting another vision. He's seeing something clearly that he is now communicating to us. It says, great and marvelous. He says, in heaven, sign in heaven, great and marvelous seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them, the wrath of God is complete. So seven in the Bible is the number of what? Completion. So there's seven angels and there's seven plagues. We've seen three groups of seven angels, seven angels over the seven churches in chapters one to three. Those angels, most people believe are pastors, but they're messengers, they're people that deliver the word of God. There were seven angels that blew the seven trumpets in chapters eight to 11. And now we're going to see the seven angels that will have the seven bold judgments, the harshest and most heavy of judgments, the ones that will bring the completion of the wrath of God and his righteous judgment upon the earth. We've seen three groups of of seven plagues, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and as we said, the seven bowls are coming. It says at the end there, in them the wrath of God is complete. With these seven last plagues, God will complete uh, on it this complete the wrath of God upon this unbelieving world. This will finish it. There will be no more wrath, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering after this judgment comes and we return with the Lord to a new heavens and a new earth and we rule and reign with him for a thousand years and praise God for that. Amen? So these seven last plagues are God's judgment on a disobedient and contrary world. I want to say this. People say, well, what about the good people? Why are they going to hell? Well, first of all, if there were any good people, we could have that discussion, but there aren't any. The Bible says there's how many righteous? None righteous, no, not one. And so we think we're good when we compare ourselves to other people, but when we compare ourselves to the ultimate judge, which is Jesus Christ, how we doing? We've all failed miserably. And so there's, the world will tell us what kind of a loving God is it that would send us to hell. And the reality is, ultimately, in the end, we send ourselves there by rejecting his free offer of salvation. He was willing to take all of your suffering upon himself, all of the, the pain and torment that was due to your sin and mine. He took it upon himself. So he, he suffered as if he lived your life, so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. That's our God. Amen. So for in them, the wrath is complete. Again, that's where the word thymos is. As in the case of Revelation 14, this is a a volatile, passionate anger. So this is where God's passion is poured out. Has our God suffered long? What's the answer? So often we see stuff in the world and we think, how in the world does the Lord just not smoke those people? Like the sons of thunder, right? right? James and John. Lord, just smoke them all. And I'm glad he doesn't do that because I'd have got smoked. How about you? Amen? But we look at that and we sometimes wonder why God, why won't God? But aren't you glad that God waited till you were saved? Aren't you glad that God's desire is still for other people? The fullness of the Gentiles must take place. But when we get to this point, the wrath of God is going to be made complete. And we're going to see the anger of God being poured out in his judgment. Now, this is just my definition of the wrath of God. It's a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to the nature and the will of God. He's going to respond to those things. Again, he will show grace, and God's grace is not God's permission to continue in sin. But there is a day coming where the grace has been extended, you've rejected it, the world has rejected it, and its righteous judgment will come. The word again, complete, is the ancient Greek that means to reach an end or an aim. Here, the hot wrath of God will fall upon, 
will have an, fulfill the eternal purpose. And God isn't just blowing off steam. He's bringing judgment. It says in Zephaniah 3.8, Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. So point number one, pouring out the righteous anger of God upon a wicked and unrepentant world. Just always remember that God is always pouring out his wrath in that case upon those who he desires to be saved, who's given opportunities to be saved, who have hardened their heart towards God, who are shaking their fist at him, want nothing to do with him, and then judgment comes. Point number two, the vengeance of God. It says, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. Where is the sea of glass? Where is it? It's in heaven. It's literally before the throne of God is where it's described. And so on this sea of glass, we see the sea of glass mingled with fire. So the sea of glass, to me, points to the presence of God. God's presence is there. It's before the throne of God. It's where God dwells. Amen? But the presence of God, the holiness of God, the grace of God is also being mixed with fire. Fire in the Bible speaks of what? Judgment. Purification. Judgment. Right? And so you take the holiness of God and it's being mixed with the righteous judgment of God. And that is what is going to be poured out. And in this case, the people that are there worshiping the Lord are the ones who've been martyred during the great tribulation. Why were they martyred? From the text, they refused to take the mark of the beast. They refused to do anything that the Antichrist called them to do. They stood up when nobody else would and they rejected the enemy, knowing that it could cost them their life. Now there will be some, I believe, that will live through the great tribulation, but a vast majority like these martyrs will die. So here are these martyrs and they are standing on that crystal sea and they are worshiping the Lord as he pours out his righteous judgment upon a world that's shaking their fists at him and upon those who had martyred them, who had them put to death for standing for the Lord. So vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we don't take vengeance, we leave it in God's hands. And they had cried out way back, I think it was chapter six, where they said, Lord, when are you going, when are you going to judge them, Lord, for killing us? Well, the answer is chapter 15. And so here comes the righteous judgment of God. Again, he suffers long, he won't suffer always. And he brings the judgment upon them. Before the throne, again, is that, crystal sea. We're going to all see it one day. And those who reject God's grace and mercy face a terrifying expectation of the judgment and the fury of fire, which will consume his adversaries. Again, that fire is something that comes down from heaven. Now, again, it represents both the presence of God, but also the righteous judgment of God. When they were traveling through the wilderness, they followed a pillar of cloud and what else? A pillar of what? fire. And that fire, that Shekinah glory always rested upon the tabernacle or on the Holy of Holies, right? Within the tabernacle. You guys remember that? And when they would wake up in the morning, what was the first thing they did? They all looked where? They all looked up. And when the cloud or the fire had moved, they followed it. And so the fire represents the presence of God. But in this case, in the context, it's also pointing to the righteous judgment of God. So they'd been victorious over the beast, it says, but they died. So how were they victorious? Well, they came to Christ during the tribulation. They were martyred by the Antichrist and his followers for their faith. They were victorious because they said no to the Antichrist, because they refused to take the mark of the beast. They were martyred for their faith, but now they're in heaven. They did not succumb to the threats, and they stood for the Lord. So we are victorious when we say no to the enemy. Amen? With temptation, God makes a what? A way of escape. And so when the way of escape comes and we say no to the enemy, it would, in this context, that's vic being victorious. And in this case, they had victory over the beast, even though they lost their lives because they said no to the Antichrist. Now, if you take the mark of the beast, can you still be saved? What's the answer? No. That's when they say, that's it, right? That's where, you know, the uh, leave him alone wrath comes. All right, well, you've made a choice. You've aligned with the beast. Now it's too late, you can't be saved. Now, 
I always have to say this, getting the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Getting a credit card with a chip in it is not the mark of the beast. You're not going to be fooled into getting the mark of the beast. First of all, we won't be here for the mark of the beast, but if you are here, our website's rapture-proof. Go watch all the messages on Revelation. But here's the thing, that when people take the mark of the beast, they'll know that they're aligning themselves to the Antichrist. They will know it. They'll make a conscious choice to do it. And when they do that, again, like a seared over conscience, they cannot be saved. The early church, the day of martyrdom as a day of victory, and the finish line is not here, it's in heaven. Aren't you glad that this is not what really matters? It's heaven that matters, amen? While we're here, we want to be salt and light. It says, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, there at the end of verse 2. The image of the beast which will, he will order everyone to worship or be put to death. Many people believe we know it's going it's to be like an idol, this image, and that image will talk and move. We don't know if it's mechanical or if it's demonic, but people will be told they have to worship this idol. Over his mark, the false prophet will require to receive a mark of, the, uh, to, of allegiance to the beast, either the beast's name or the number of his name. So they had victory because they said no to the enemy and they resisted the devil. And when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. These believers had victory over the beast because they refused to take the image, the mark, or the number. They were faithful to the Lord, even unto death. Guys, you couldn't threaten them with heaven. Amen? You know what keeps us from having fear here is recognizing this is not our home. People are saying there's aliens now. You've seen this this week. I think that's the explanation for the rapture. I'm fully convinced. Where'd they all go? Aliens took them, right? Now, there are aliens. It's us. This is not our home. Can I get an amen to that? We're just passing through here. Do I believe there are aliens on other planets? No. Absolutely not. But isn't the world grasping for anything and everything but the truth? Amen? We need to know Jesus. So you couldn't threaten him with heaven. They didn't take the mark. And again, they're standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. They're standing before the throne of God, worshiping, rejoicing, and singing praise songs to God. Do you, guys, we need to think about that day more often, amen? There's a day coming. We're going to be around his throne. We're going to see the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We're going to be in the presence of Almighty God. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering. Guys, it's the ultimate 401k. It's called heaven, Amen. It's the place that we retire to, if you will. We leave this planet behind and we're in the presence of Almighty God. You know, for the believer, death has no sting. We don't die, we just move to a what? A much better neighborhood. We leave behind this place and we're in heaven and we're in the presence of Almighty God. Lord, help us to have a more eternal perspective, to recognize that heaven is our home, that we are here to know him and to make him known, that our lives here are but a vapor compared to the eternity in heaven. Again, Lord, paint eternity on our eyes. We should be thinking about heaven every day. And I also think it's not a bad idea to every once in a while consider what it would be like if you went to hell. To thank God that we're not going by his grace. Amen? Help us to invest in that which that will outlast this life. So God's wrath, the vengeance for the martyred saints had undergone persecution and pain and torment. And now they're in heaven praising God. Now watch as they praise God. No complaining. No complaining. You hear people say, when I get to heaven, I got questions for God. No, you don't. No. I'm thinking this is the posture. Can I get an amen to that? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So watch as they're singing praise songs. What are they singing? They were martyred. They were put to death. They stood for the Lord. And in the midst of it, they died painful, heinous deaths. But when they're in heaven, when they're in the presence of Almighty God, Let's take a look at the character of the God we serve because they could not help but sing about it. So they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, and your judgments have been manifested. Let me point out a word that's repeated in here. Your works. 
your ways. No one shall fear you, your name. You alone are holy for all the nations. Worship before you and your judgments have been manifested. The focus of our worship should always be the Lord. Amen? When you worship, we don't sing worship songs about us. Amen? Worship is about him. They're in heaven. They're not complaining about their life on earth. They're not complaining about being martyred. They're not complaining about the pain and torment. They're so thankful they're in the presence of God, they can't do anything but worship him. And one of the few things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven is worship. Amen? And by the way, church starts at 10. Just saying, that's when we have worship. Can I get an amen to that? Worship is not the, you know, the previews to the message. Worship is why we're here, amen? To praise and worship and honor his name. And these, these guys who've been martyred for their faith, not one complaint, not one murmuring to God. And as believers, we, again, I get it if you have moments where you're questioning God or you're struggling, I get it. That's humanity and that's how we all can be. And, I, and God loves you enough to have you be questioning at times. He loves you in the midst of that. But that being said, we as believers have absolutely nothing to complain about. Amen? We're going to heaven. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. No one will ever snatch you out of his hand. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's adopted you into his family, and he's given you a down payment on heaven and a person of the Holy Spirit. We all ought to say hallelujah to that all day long. Amen? And we should. God's works, the things God does are awesome and amazing. We serve an awesome God, amen? He's awesome. He's amazing. He's all-knowing, almighty, and all-powerful. His ways are just and true. His, His decisions are perfect. Sometimes we don't understand what God's doing. Here's the good news. We don't have to. You've heard me say it. We're all idiots compared to God, amen? And we're finite man trying to understand infinite God. And because he is all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful, all-loving, loves you, knows what's best for you, he's the perfect parent that none of us had, amen? He's the perfect parent, so he knows what is best for us. So when he takes a path or when he does something in your life, we need to learn to trust him, that his ways are perfect. His worthiness, who shall not fear you, O Lord, glorify your name, for you alone are holy. He alone is worthy to be worshiped, to be praised, and to be honored. He's worthy. No one else is worthy. His worship, all nations come, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Again, we don't hear the martyrs questioning God. They don't focus on themselves, but on the Lord. I'll tell you what, if you're struggling with fear and anxiety and things like that, and again, we need to pray for those, and those are real things in our lives, but often what we really need to do is take the focus off ourselves and our circumstances and put them on the Lord, because our God is greater. Amen? You use this analogy a lot. They're going over the Sea of Galilee. The Lord tells them they're going to the other side. The waves kick up, and what do the apostles all do? They all panic. Who's in the boat sleeping? See, they panic because their eyes are on the waves. If they had their eyes on Jesus, instead, they would be at peace. Guys, we panic because we're looking at the waves and the trials around us. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, we won't panic. Amen? Final point, God's plan. So the righteous judgment of God is coming, and it's going to come only after He's given them so many opportunities to be saved. Again, he desires none should perish, no, not one. It's that paradox. The wrath of God, at the same time, he wants to deliver you from his own wrath. He wants to see you saved. Do you know that he took my wrath and yours upon himself at the cross? Amen? So because all sin must be paid for, and he paid for it for us. Let's take a look there first at the plan of God there in verse 5. After these things, I looked... And behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Now, the word temple there is the word for the holy of holies. So we know, if you've been coming on Thursday nights, we know that the tabernacle and the temple on earth is a model that matches what's in heaven. So this is the heavenly temple and the holy of holies. Now, who dwelt in the holy of holies? Who is that? Almighty God. So this is coming from the holiest place, from the holy of holies. Again, this introduces a new vision. Anytime you see someone say, after these things, I looked. Every time he says that, 
We're shifting gears. It's a new vision. After these things, I looked, and what did he see? The temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. This new vision revealed to him that the bold judgments were about to be poured out. But first, John saw the angels being sent out from the throne of God to carry out the bold judgment on earth. Look what it says in verse 6. And out of the temple came seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having on their chests girded with golden bands. So here he is. He sees these angels coming out. Seven angels, seven plagues, seven the number of completion, and this is going to complete the judgment of God upon the earth prior to Armageddon. It's going to bring everything about ending with Armageddon, Armageddon. If you guys go to Israel with us in January, uh, we, I think we're up to 145 people and about 38 from this church. And I'm looking forward to it. But Armageddon, it's right above Mount Carmel where Elijah called fire down from the sky. You can look out and it's such a perfect battlefield and that battle is going to take place there. And that's at the very end of the bold judgments. So these judgments are going to be poured out. And as they are poured out, they're going to get worse and worse and worse. And it's a righteous judgment of God upon the earth. And again, it's going to bring to completion the judgment of God, the wrath of God. Again, the word temper refers to the holy of holies where God dwells, and also refers sometimes to the tabernacle of testimony, which is mentioned here. And that's the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant had three things inside of it. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? It's a box, not a boat. Amen? And the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. And what was inside the Ark? Ten Commandments. Aaron's rod, which because Jesus is the great high priest. And a jar of manna, because Jesus is the bread of life. So we see the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the Word. Aaron's rod, he's the great high priest, a jar of manna, he's the bread of life. I love the tabernacle, just quickly. Again, when you came to the tabernacle, the first thing you saw was the, was the altar, the bronze altar. And it was where the blood was shed. There were four points, like the four points on the cross. That blood was taken from that altar and they would wash themselves in a bronze laver, a laver uh, picture to, for me, like baptism, the cleansing that comes through the blood that was shed. Then they would go into the holy place and on the left-hand side, you had the uh, golden lampstand because Jesus is the light of the world. On the right-hand side, you had the table of showbread. He's the bread of life. And then there's the altar of incense just outside the Holy of Holies. It's the holy place and then the Holy of Holies. And that in incense was burning 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's a picture of what? It's the prayers, really, of the Lord, in this case, interceding on our behalf that are going into that holy place. So this is coming from the Holy of Holies in heaven. One thing, last thing, as long as I've done it, the Ark of the Covenant, I love it. It's a picture of the resurrection. And here's why. There's a mercy seat. They would come in and sprinkle blood upon it. It had angels with wings touching on each end. And when they ran into the tomb that morning, what did they see? Blood sprinkled in the middle and angels on, on both the front and the top. Look, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Amen. And I'll still I'll extend the challenge again. I've yet to have anybody do it. Show me a chapter in the Old Testament. I'll show you Jesus because he's in every one. Amen? So it all points to the Lord. And here we have him, his presence in the Holy of Holies. And he's sending out these angels to go bring the righteous judgment upon the earth after they rejected him over and over and over and over and over again. It says their pure bright linen fabric represents their holiness and purity. The angels are, are also dressed like priests coming out of the temple to do priestly things. The angels are going to be doing something that we might call dirty work, but they're not putting on their overalls. They're, they're, they're going out, again, clothed in fine linen. Guys, there are times when we have to do things that are not easy for the kingdom of God. One of the things I don't like doing as a pastor, if I never have to do it again, I would love it. I don't like having to rebuke people. Maybe you guys get excited about rebuking somebody. I'll have to go rebuke that brother. <laughs> Can hardly wait. No, we don't like doing that. But there are times as believers that we have to do things we don't want to do uh, to minister to somebody because we, we have a heart and a burden for them. These angels are going out to do something that's heavy. The wrath of God is coming but they're still clothed in fine linen. They're still walking in holiness. There's nothing improper or dirty about the judgment that's going to be poured out. This is not evil or wicked. This is holy and righteous, what's about to take place. Amen? The world looks at it, doesn't understand it. Why would God do this? Because 
because he has to stand for the truth, because he cannot tolerate sin. So God's judgment, God's wrath is righteous, it's pure, and it's holy. Notice that their chests are girded with golden bands. This befits such holy, glorious, and majestic beings, being sent out by Almighty God to deliver his judgment with, uh, with emblems of purity, righteousness, and strength to punish evil. And again, from shoulder to their waist, they're bound. Finally, last two verses, look at verse 7. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So these are the four living creatures. Those, we know them. We've talked about them. They're surrounding the throne. They worship forevermore. They take the bowls and they put them in the hands of these seven angels. And these seven angels are going to take flight to come to the earth to bring the righteous judgment of God. The word bowl there is like a shallow bowl, like a deep saucer. Uh, the Greek Old Testament, this word translates to the Hebrew word mizak, which is a container used in the tabernacle in the temple for worship. It might be used for grain or oil or wine or blood. And they used to collect stuff like blood from sacrificial animal, and they used it to sprinkle the stuff like the bread from the sacrifice. So this is what's going to happen, is the righteous judgment of God is going to come Again, the symbol of this bowl. And when it's poured out, we're going to see this next week. We're going to see each of those seven bowl judgments being poured out. And each one of them is going to be a very heavy judgment coming from God and his wrath. When these bowls are poured out upon the earth, terrible things will happen. And we'll see these events very clearly in the next chapter. Finally, verse 8. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. When Solomon dedicated the temple, the same thing happened. It says in 2 Chronicles 7, we looked at this a few months back. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the the Lord's house. When the glory of the Lord consumes his house, no one else can enter. It's like Moses, again, when the glory of the Lord was in the tabernacle, he could not enter. And so what this tells me is when this judgment is taking place, Almighty God is going to be in the Holy of Holies. His glory is going to be there and no one can enter. And what this tells me, the application I believe is, that once this judgment starts, there's no stopping it. He's going to be in the Holy of Holies. No one can enter. No one can cry out to him to stop. It's not going to stop. It's going to be finished. It's what he, his, his plan has been to do. And he is going to carry out the wrath of God upon a sinless and ungodly world. If no one is able to enter the temple, then nothing else is going to be done in heaven until this is finished. Everything stops. No more prayers answered at that moment. No other directions given. Again, God's plan is going to be done. God's will is going to be done. Now, sometimes when you say things like this to people, they say, then why do we pray if God's will is going to be done? Well, first of all, we pray because he tells us to. Amen. And while prayer doesn't change God's mind, it does change our hearts. Amen? When we pray, we knit our hearts toward His. We cry out to Him. He already knows our heart, but He loves to hear it. And so this is going to be a time when God's plan is in place. It's going to be carried out. It's going to be completed. And it's going to be too late to surrender your life to the Lord. No one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Let me end with this. It will be too late then. It's not too late now. Amen? It's not too late. The good news is this hasn't happened yet. Prayers can still get into heaven. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The Bible tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Imagine that means he warned the people that one day there would be a flood and they all mocked him. Perhaps the people didn't pay attention because they didn't know what the rain was. But there's going to come a day when it's simply too late. The boat was loaded. The door was closed. The rain came down. It was too late. But for us, again, it's not too late. 
The door to heaven is not closed yet. God so loved, God loved you so much, he sent his son to suffer and die that you might have eternal life. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Worship team, come on up. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. My prayer is that today would be the day of salvation. First, you must recognize that you're a sinner. How many sinners we got in the room? Okay, praise the Lord. Until you recognize you're a sinner, you'll see no need for a savior. Because we're sinners, we need to be forgiven. And as we have seen throughout scripture, as we've seen in the text today, you cannot save yourself. You cannot redeem yourself. But the good news is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus went to the cross to pay the price that you could not pay. And after suffering the torment of the cross, he went into the tomb. And on the third day, he proved himself to be God by raising from the dead. If you're here this morning, you've never surrendered your life to him. You need to repent. And the word repent is not a bad word. It's a great word. It literally means to change your heart, to change direction, to change your mind. It means I've been living my life this way. I've been headed in this direction my whole life. I've had myself on the throne. I'm pursuing me and my wants and my fleshly desires. And now I recognize that my life's a mess and I need to give my life to the Lord, not just to make Jesus my savior, make him the Lord of my life. The word repent means to turn around and now you surrender your life to him. You're no longer on the throne. He's on the throne. You surrender to him. You ask him to forgive you. You ask him to indwell you with this Holy Spirit. You ask him that you can be born again and that you can have the promise of eternal life. And it says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So if you're here this morning, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm not asking you to join a church, a local church. You'll be joining the church. But if you're here today and you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven, and, and don't just pray for the get out of hell free card, but pray to say, Lord, I, I know that I need you. And I know that I'm a sinner and I'm ready to surrender my life to you. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand where you are and I'll pray with you. Anybody at all. Don't leave here without the Lord. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Anybody at all. May today be the day of salvation. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. You are a great and an awesome God. And we thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we're thankful, Lord that even though we don't deserve it, you have delivered us from the wrath to come because you, you took paid that price for us. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. You are worthy to be worshiped and to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Is he